And this is what we read, starting in verse 1. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, are, are you there? Okay, well, Shelley's there. Are you there? Okay, four of you are. Okay, that's not the majority, but we'll take it. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and say to him, When you arrange the lamps, the seven lamps shall give light in front of the lampstand. And Aaron did so. He arranged the lamps to face toward the front of the lampstand, as the Lord had commanded Moses. Now, this workmanship of the lampstand was hammered gold from its shaft to its flowers. According to the pattern in which the Lord had shown Moses, so he made the lampstand. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Now take the Levites from among the children of Israel and cleanse them ceremonially. Thus you shall do to, to them to cleanse them. Sprinkle water of purification on them and let them shave all their body and let them wash their clothes and so make themselves clean. Then let them take a young bull with its grain offering of fine flour mixed with oil. And you shall take another young bull as a sin offering. And you shall bring the Levites before the tabernacle of meeting. And you shall gather together the whole congregation of the children of Israel. And so you shall bring the Levites before the Lord, and the children of Israel shall lay their hands on the Levites. And Aaron shall offer the Levites before the Lord like a wave offering from the children of Israel, that they may perform the work of the Lord. Then the Levites shall lay their hands on the heads of the young bulls. And you shall offer one as a sin offering and the other as a burnt offering to the Lord to make atonement for the Levites. And you shall stand the Levites before Aaron and his sons and then offer them like a wave offering to the Lord. And thus you shall separate the Levites from among the children of Israel and the Levites shall be mine. Absolutely. From the mouth of babes and infants you have ordained praise. Right there. And after the Levites shall go into the service of the tabernacle of meeting, so you shall cleanse them and offer them like a wave offering. For they are wholly given to me from among the children of Israel. I have taken them for myself instead of all who open the womb, the firstborn of all the children of Israel. And the firstborn among the children of Israel are mine, both man and beast. On the day in which I struck all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, I sanctified them to myself. I have taken the Levites instead of all the firstborn of the children of Israel. And I have taken the Levites as a gift to Aaron and to the sons among the children of Israel to do the work of for the children of Israel in the tabernacle of meeting and to make atonement for the children of Israel, that there be no plague among the children of Israel when the children of Israel come near the sanctuary. You get the idea of God stressing something there? Then Moses... Thus Moses and Aaron and all the congregation of the children of Israel did to the Levites according to all that the Lord commanded Moses concerning the Levites. So the children of Israel did to them. And the Levites purified themselves and washed their clothes. Then Aaron presented them like a wave offering before the Lord. And Aaron made atonement for them to cleanse them. After that, the Levites went in to do their work in the tabernacle of meeting before Aaron and his sons. And the Lord, as the Lord commanded Moses concerning the Levites, so they did to them. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, This is what pertains to the Levites. From 25 years old and above, one may enter to perform service of the work of the tabernacle of meeting. And at the age of 50 years, they must cease performing this work and shall do no more. They shall minister with their brethren in the tabernacle. They may, in the tabernacle of meeting, to attend to needs, but they themselves shall do no work. And thus shall do the Levites according to their duties. Will you pray with me, please? Lord God, thank you so much 
for the time that you've given us here to open your word on this communion Sunday, when we take our day and separate it unto you, where we seek to love you and know you better, where we seek, Lord, on this day to become more like you, may your word burst open and come alive for every one of us. Captivate us, Lord. May we have so much fun and draw us in, Lord, that we could be there and understand you and your call in our lives better here in the 21st century. We pray, Lord, that you would, by the power of your Holy Spirit, speak through me in a way I cannot speak, in a way that every one of us will understand, that you would speak to every heart of hearts, every mind, every spirit today, Lord, that we would be truly, truly taught and encouraged and equipped and challenged and exhorted. If there be any yet to know you, let today be the day of their salvation. But Lord, meet us right where we're at and draw us to you now. Draw us to you, we pray. And Lord, just be the Lord of our time. Lord, commandeer every moment, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I would say today as I would any, please do not just assume what I say is true. Search the scriptures. Let the Bible always have the final say. Let the Bible be your authority in all things. In chapter 7, and if you flip back for a moment, chapter 7, verse 1, it says, It came to pass when Moses had finished setting up the tabernacle. That gives us a time stamp here. Now, when Moses had set up the tabernacle was the first day of the first year of the second month. I'm sorry, the first day of the first year of the or second year of the first month. In other words, happy January 1st, one year later. From the day that we left Egypt, it was a year. And God had ordained 14 days later for us to commemorate what God had done. And here becomes the problem. You see, when God sets up something to remind us, it is to become more than just some form of rite or ritual. It is to become something that impacts us. And God created us this way. There is still to this day, I bet, if you drove through certain areas, went through certain places, visited certain places, even smelled certain smells, memories would come back to you. There's a certain smell of rotted garbage that reminds me of my grandmother's house in St. Louis. Well, outside. It wasn't inside. That's the good news. Some of you, maybe it's the smell of like sort of those mothball things or whatever. But I mean, whatever it is. But there's certain smells you can smell. There's a smell with a certain deli that I remember. The smell of Chicago roasted beef. Oh, how that reminds me of playing American football. The smell of the ocean. And I could be reminded of how I used to take my long walks with God on the beach in California. Certain smells, certain sights. And in somehow, even in certain songs, you can listen to. Now, if somebody's ever broken up with you while a song was playing in the background, it's fairly likely if you really dug the person, that when that song plays, you feel the pain. So you can't tell me that there aren't things that we still can recount that still don't bring us back to where we were. The problem is with this. You see, the crazy thing was, it was only a year ago that we were slaves. It was only a year ago that they cracked the whip and we did whatever they said. We didn't say when. They said jump. We just jumped. And God is setting us up for the first memorial. You see, the last time we had a Passover, we were still in Egypt getting ready to leave. God was about to lower the boom on Plague 10. He was going to drop the A-bomb and the whole thing was going to be time to leave and time to leave in a hurry. So this is the first time that we're actually going to celebrate this looking back. 
Because the last time, all we knew was we were leaving the only thing we knew. We were there for 430 years. So God is preparing us. Do we have anything like that today? We do. We call it communion. And today, on this first Sunday of the month, we're going to have communion. Perfect timing. And understand, with that, God starts laying out some things. He really wants to make clear that if you're going to do anything that's right and ritual, that's going to become tradition, it is not to become lifeless. It isn't just the peck kiss in the morning or night or the goodbye, and that's the heat of your passion. Because if that is, then what kind of intensity is there? Or it's not supposed to be the simple curt word that's said regularly, like, God, bless the food, amen. What in the world? You ever thought about what that means? Doesn't bless mean like make happy, make joyful? So we pray, Lord, bless the food. What in the world? Like my steak's going to get up and start dancing or something, right? I'm so happy to be. Really? But we're just so used to doing that. We pray before we sleep. Why? I remember even when I was a kid, before I knew the Lord, I'd learned that now I lay me down to sleep thing. And I thought, wow, why would I say this over and over? And then like, if I die before I wake, whoa, whoa, what's going on here? Understand, God does not want empty ritual. He doesn't want empty ritual in any relationship. With friends, with, with a romantic relationship, with a husband and wife, with parents to their children, and certainly between God and you. He wants no empty relationship. He wants it to be something for real. And so when he starts preparing us for this ritual, where well, we're going to look back now. And as he starts to prepare us for that, he got us, last chapter, if you remember, there was this giving. But God wanted to sanctify. First of all, if you remember, these people gave and they gave carts and oxen. Do you remember that? But do you remember there was one part of the priestly tribe, the one part of the Levites that didn't get any of those carts, and those people were the Kohathites, or the people who were actually priests, because they took care of the pieces that were of testimony, and they weren't to be brought on a cart. They were to be carried on the shoulders of human beings. And when we testify of God, it's on our shoulders to do so. It's not on some program. It's not to be put on wheels. The bottom line is when we testify of who God is, we testify. It's on our shoulders to do so. That's what people are looking at. And then from that they gave, if you remember. They gave a silver platter and a silver bowl. If you remember that, the 130 shekels and 70 shekels full of fine oil and flour as a grain offering. A gold pan of 10 shekels, if you remember, with incense. And then they gave these animals, this bull, this ram, and the lamb of the first year. as a burnt offering, a kid of the goats as a sin offering. And then the two oxen, five rams, five male goats, and the five male lambs as a peace offering. And God wanted to remind us, because that was at the place of sacrifice. And three times he makes mention that it's to dedicate the altar. If we're going to have communion today for real, I mean for real, not just close your eyes, eat a piece of bread, say amen, sing a little Hebrew. But if we're really going to do what God said, the word was not remembrance, it was communion. That means we're communing. We're actually being one with someone. And to be one with somebody, it's going to be more than an empty rite, more than an empty ritual. It's going to be for real. And God says, let's do this first. You need to recognize that I have a call on your life to let the world know how amazing it is to be with me. Uh, and no, one's else, that, no church is going to uphold that program. No institution. Only people. People do this. Because the bottom line is, if somebody wants to try to play the church thing, most of your friends will be listening to you more than they will institution anyways. 
That's good news in some cases. But then from that, remember, the whole idea of it is, as we now go, we need to get back to that cross and not make the cross something so tidy and so neat and so pretty that we don't realize it was the place of torture. It was the place of sacrifice. It was the place where our fruitfulness is found, that grain offering. It is the place where our praise and prayer transform as the pan of incense. It is the place where our sin was paid for. It was the place where we actually see God transform us now, making us fruitful. Making us, showing us that God totally surrendered everything because that's how precious we are to Him. And then with that, we are at peace not only with Him, but with others, His, His believers as well. And it tells us this in 1 John, if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, He said, purifies us from all sin. You see, before that point, we didn't have this kind of fellowship. Because now what we are, if you've accepted the gift of Jesus Christ, is adopted. You are adopted by the King of Kings. And we have that together. We were all orphans that have been adopted. And we've been adopted, if we could have chosen anyone to adopt us, I guarantee you we would have picked the one who did. And that takes us to our chapter now. And all of this is in preparation for that first Passover. If we're going to have that Passover for real, or in this case, if we're going to have communion today for real, we need to remember that that cross, everything was paid for there. Everything. Every sin, every shameful thing, it's all covered. There's no past to haunt you. And have you learned this yet? The devil loves to bring you to your past because he can't change it. He's like, oh, remember when you did this? And remember, and you can't go back and tweak anything unless you're kind of delusional. Truth be told, it's what it is. Here's the only difference is what lenses you can look through. And you can look through the lens of the enemy. And I remind you, the enemy's really quite simple and predictable. His, his, his mission is to actually have preeminence. And the way he does it, he only has two real tools. And that's temptation and accusation. That's everything. If you realize, that's everything. Temptation, the idea of it is to make sin look small before you jump in it. And then when you jump in it, then make it look really big and stay away from God now that you've done it on the other side. In regards to accusation, he'll accuse you to God, God to you, your brother to you, you to you, your brother, you to your brother. That's what he does. So if he could divide, well, then certainly he gets preeminence. That's what he thinks. And so here we are now realizing all we are are wretches that have been lavished in the love of God. How can we be proud? We've been forgiven, and he shows us our past. And every time he shows us our past, I tend to look at it and be reminded that's covered in the blood of Christ too. Because if we could hear Jesus speak when he's accusing us, surely remember when you said you'd never and you did again. And oh, remember how you were, and it brings you back to this place where you can feel it again, and you feel dirty, and you feel like this failure. And he brings you back there. And then it's like if you could listen to Jesus, he's like, paid, paid, paid. Listen to this. 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, it says this, I write this so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense. Jesus Christ, the righteous, who is, listen, the propitiation, ilasmus, of our sins. And not only ours, but the sins of the whole world. See, listen, here's the, here's the way that that plays out. And it's really fundamental. The way that it plays out is that even if you do sin, you know that there's going to be Somebody that's a prosecuting attorney. His name is accuser. That's what devil means, is accuser. So you kind of should see it coming. That's like if a guy's named Puncher and he punches you, you should have saw it coming. His name's like, hi, my name's accuser. First thing he has to tell honestly. Well, what are you going to do? Duh. So there he is accusing him, but it says, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense. And that person we read is Jesus Christ, the righteous, who, listen, who is 
our propitiation, which makes it different. So you ready? Let's play it out, shall we? For just a moment. Here we go. We need to judge. Come over here, Mary. We're going to use you. How's that? Okay. Now all you have to do is just sort of stand here and look judgy. Good. Good work. Okay. How's that? Does that work out? You're with me so far. Now, <coughs> we need a normal human being or extraordinary. We're going to pick Hugo. But the problem is, who, who, who wants to be the accuser? Isn't that awful? Yeah, I will play the role of Jesus. <laughs> well, David, David, come over here for a moment. Okay. And, okay, and this is horrible that the pastor has to play this role, but none, I don't want any of you to play it. Okay, so here's the idea. Bruno, Bruno, hello, you're Hugo. Nice to meet you. Has had, has had some issue. He's done something. And the enemy's over here, and he's going, you did, you did, you did. And understand, that's the one place where he doesn't have to lie. Isn't it true? Because when the enemy accuses you, if he had have said, Hugo, remember when you robbed that liquor store? Unless you really have. He's not gonna, it's not going to mean anything to him. But if he starts looking at your rap sheet and he's like, you said, you said, oh, you said you'd never do this again. And one, two, three, four, five, six times today. You know, and he's like, all of a sudden, he's, and how long do you listen to that before you get old? You're like, oh, I am so done. Does that make sense? But understand, that's how this starts. And you stand before the judge. But, listen, so there's the enemy accusing and he's like, standing, he's like, oh, man. And then all of a sudden stands up this man and he says, Now, it already starts to change, doesn't it? So he approaches the bench because it's his dad now, right? Because it's Jesus. And listen, he's not just our defense attorney saying, paid in full. So now all of a sudden, here's the judge and he looks. And what he sees is a page covered in blood. And he's like, but I don't see any accusations. They're covered in blood. Do you see what I'm saying? Because the propitiation means the payment. So now all of a sudden, stand here, because you're at the right hand of the Father, so you actually better go over on this side, right? Now listen, listen, this is how it works. You only have one word to say, and the word is pay, right? Well, he did, but he did, but he did, but he did this five times. Pay, 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 you know? And he said he wasn't going to do this, but he did it anyways. But he did this. You get the idea. Have a seat, you guys. That's the point. Now listen. Now listen, if we, if we forget that, then what in the world are we doing here? Hoping that maybe we're hedging our bets a little bit by being a little nicer? Like God's taking role and he's like, well, you did make church another time, so maybe that's going to be okay. Really? But if it's already been paid for, then what are you trying to do? This should be out of the love for the, of Christ, not to gain the love of Christ. Does that make sense? So listen, as we move into this chapter, it's really quite simple. There's really two kind of key points. It's time to light the lamps and to launch the Levites. That's what we do here. And in the first portion of this, God actually has to tell Moses that something's a little wrong in the tabernacle. Go ahead and show that pic, would you please? PowerPoint. Now understand, first of all, what we want to point out in the first portion of it is in regards to this little beauty. Now, might I say to you that the one qualification we have, other than the way that it's made, is that it's made of basically 75 pounds of pure gold. That's all we know. The problem is, if you know anything about pure gold, is it's not very strong. It's heavier than it is strong. And that becomes a problem because when God said, I need all of these arms sticking out, how in the world does this work? You see, this is too heavy and not strong enough to hold it up. So 
God has to do something supernatural, which is part of the fun. Now, it was so much the case that if you know, there's a group called the Temple Institute trying to build everything in case a new temple comes up, which we know there will be. First Thessalonians, Second Thessalonians, and Revelation make that clear. Unfortunately, it will not be for the person we want it to be initially. But when they did it, this is actually their recreation. And here's the problem is they kept trying to make it happen, and they couldn't because, well, they're not being spirit-led in it. They're just trying to do it the waves of man. And as a result of that, they're like, well, what do we do? So what they decided is we decided that brass is actually nothing. So if we could just coat nothing with gold, then it's pure gold, which is funny because I guarantee you if I walked up to somebody and hit them in the head with a brass pipe, I guarantee you they will not think I hit them with nothing. Nonetheless, not that I want to. You get the idea. But listen, listen. Go to the next one for a moment here. This is the point I want to point on that. The next slide, if you could, please. Is that, oh, look, it's even got, oh, doesn't that just look, okay. <laughs> Gotta love that. Okay, now, that is sort of where things are when you're actually in the, the temple or the tabernacle. There is, to our right, the table of showbread. To our left, this light. And in front of us is the place where the priest gives prayer and incense. But I need you to recognize there are no lamps. There's no bulbs. The only light in the entire place is that menorah, which just means lampstand. If that lamp is not on, you're walking into a dark tent to try to go and light incense with fire in one hand and incense in the other. Have a good time with that one. There's one more slide, right? Go ahead and flip to that. Here's the thing that you, here's the part that I think is so beautiful. This is what it looks like. Remember how these things are covered in gold on the inside. So imagine what would happen when that light is there hitting this gold on the sides. How beautiful that would be with that. And then the, the, the oh, anyways, you get the idea. Now listen, 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 listen. When God talks about a light, I remind you, this isn't a candle. It isn't like candles were made in the, those days. So I'd like to show you something. This is from my own collection. This is a 2,100-year-old lamp. Um, it's not very, very fancy, but in those days, it's effective. That's what matters, okay? It's made of clay, just like it would be, dried up. You know, it's got these cute little lines on the side. That's all the decoration you get are these lines. And basically, the way that this would work, and there would be seven of these that sat on a lamp stand. It's important to note that it had to be the very purest of olive oil. See, it's been on. Oh, hey, I guess it does work. And the way that it would work is they would put the purest of olive oil in the... I'm burning my own hand, see? That just shows you how often I use a lighter these days. It's been a while. Praise the Lord. This must have been a lot easier for the guys who had practice. Well, that's why it's all dry in there. The purest of olive oil would burn without <laughs> so much better than this is right now. Well, I'm probably going to lose my whole image on this, right? Because of this. Okay, we're not going to do this forever. For your sake. We had it lit earlier. Well, anyways, follow me on this. It's an old lamp. It takes a while to start. 
Well, okay. <laughs> so much for the... Um, no, actually, we better not play with fire. I'm, all, I'm the only one sanctioned to. Sorry, bro. Um, follow me on this, though. It smells good. My hands smell good. So they smell like a barbecue. When the light is burning on this, the light burns about the size of my pinky. It burns pretty high. And the reason is, is that the oil has to be the purest of oil, which I unfortunately do not have here. But as that oil burns, what happens is, is that obviously you have to keep replenishing it. And what God tells us, and we'll look at this in just a moment, is that it's required for this to stay burning the entire time. And the idea of it is quite simple. There should never be a time when you can't get in there to get to God. That's the idea. Does that make sense? Listen, there should never be a time when the light's not lit. Okay? And by the way, if this light were lit, it was lit earlier, and see what happens when I took it out? I blew it out, and now we can't light it again. Um, In that, by the way, the wick, just to give you an idea, was the high priest's old clothes. And they ground it up and made the wicks out of that, to give you an idea. So that's pretty profound. Now, and I, I think there's something really cool in regards to the idea of who you were and let it all burn. But anyways, follow me on this for a moment. And I just want to kind of give out a couple texts. Listen, this, the first time that we get the idea of a lamp was, by the way, in regards to the lampstand for the tabernacle in Exodus 25. When he told us in verse 31, make a lampstand of pure gold. A lampstand shall be a hammered work, branches, Bowls, ornamental knobs, and flowers shall be one piece. And there are basically three very key points about this particular lamp. Listen, one is that it had to be hammered. You don't pour it into a mold. You don't lovingly caress it. It gets pounded into shape. Are you with me on that? The second thing is it has to be one piece. It isn't like you're taking a bunch of things and sticking it together. It is one piece. Though there are several arms, actually seven arms that come out of it, it's one piece. It has to be one piece. And the third thing is that it's supposed to look like something bearing fruit. Have you noticed that? I mean, if you look at the image on that, and go back to that for just a moment if you would. Thank you. Um, It is supposed to be shafts, he calls them, and buds and flowers. So much so that when God reiterates that just a bit later, he will say, I want it to look like almond blossoms. So get the idea here that when God starts speaking about these things, he wants them to look and see this is a... Go ahead and go to the other one if you would, please. It's supposed to look like this where it's sort of budding like this. So the idea of it is that this crazy gold thing, which is supposed to speak of faith, is bearing forth fruit, and the fruit that it's bearing forth is the only light that will get somebody into the intimate place with God. Do you get that? Okay, that's just all fine and dandy until you get to Jesus speaking in Matthew 5 when he turns and says, you're the light of the world. And now all of a sudden something gets a little weird on us. Because please understand, now all of a sudden things are not just, oh, that's kind of a neat metaphor. Listen, listen, same things happen and apply with us. First of all, one piece, one piece for you to be a light, me to be a light. We're made of the same piece. It's all the same. But please hear me. You will not be caressed into shape. You will not be massaged into shape. You and I are going to get hammered into the shape God wants us to be in. Now, you may not like that, but there's something loving. You understand, this isn't God beating you mercilessly. What this is, is God putting you in the fire so that impurities could melt out, but also softening you in that fire and then actually putting you into the shape that he needs. By the way, that will look, when people look, you'll be bearing fruit, and the fruit you're bearing is light. So understand, out there, let's just think about this simply. 
out there, there's a lot of things that look like torches that aren't. Have you ever had a torch and then have it not work? And then you realize what God made toes for to find furniture in the dark, right? And you're there and you're shaking it and you do all the, you're blowing on it or whatever. And of course, it's doing nothing, kind of like I was over here with this, right? And here you are trying to get this thing. You're like, oh, come on, right? Well, get the idea. There's a lot of things that purport themselves to be lights out there. But what is going to bring you to the intimacy of God? Somebody that's telling you about works? Some of you that's, you were, we are dead in our flesh. We're dead in our trespasses and sin. And some guys out there are going to say, look, you just need to get these dead people to stop stinking. Dead people stink. That's pretty natural. Dead people rot. That's natural. And please understand, if we understand grace correctly, Jesus is different from every, every, every other thing. Because in everything else you earn it, here God gives it. Do you see the difference? Here, you try to make it happen and God judges. Here, God did the performance and wants you to take the answer. It's a radical difference. So please understand something here. Maybe right now you're getting pounded a little bit. But maybe that pounding is to bear fruit. But please understand, you are the only light. As Christians, you're the only light this city has. Here's the cool part, though is that God says we're also living stones. And there's something pretty radical about that when we see, well, and I can tell you this, walking through Ephesus really changed me on this. When you walk through Ephesus, it was a city, if you can imagine, that the, that the, um, that the, uh, the thoroughfare, the roads were basically from pillar to pillar. So take a look at that space. Polished white marble, polished white marble, that shot up as high as at least that first standard there now he was so shiny so resilient that you could put a torch right in the middle and not have to put another one for as far as beyond that baptismal because that light hit living stone and that living stone reflected that light and here's the powerful thing is that though maybe for a moment God calls Shantae to be a light to somebody and you're in the room and you're there as well, you get to be a living stone and refract that light and send that light and make it brighter. Does that make sense? And then you're a light and she gets to be the living stone for you as well. That's the beauty of this. And understand this. Listen, this is what he says. If we're going to, remember, getting back to it, if we're going to have the remembrance right, the Passover right, or in this case, communion right, we have to recognize that the lights need to step forward. Don't put them in the back. They need to go forward. And this becomes the problem. And Jesus will tell us in that same text, by the way, you don't take a light and put it under a bushel. Why would you light it at all if that be the case? You lift it up so that you can see. He says, a city on a hill can't be hidden. And by the way, Jesus was standing in the shadow of Sephorus, which was just outside of where he was, which was a city on a hill, and there's no way to hide it. When, Rome, when they started building Sephorus, everybody knew it. Please hear me. When, whether you like it or not, you could keep trying to crawl down the hill God is putting you up on. But he's putting you up there to be a light. And some people, and there's this interesting text. Listen to this text. And it was a text that really hit me this week from the book of Job. And this is what it says. Listen, Job 12.5. A lamp is despised in the thought of one who is at ease. Isn't that an interesting statement? But it is made ready for those whose feet slip. 
So when somebody's like, I don't have a problem, I'm cool, everything's all right, and you come in as a light, you are going to tweak them. Are you aware of that? What the light does is it brings clarity to the obscured. It takes that which is hidden and make it unhidden. And it makes clear the things that we are lying about. It actually makes clear what they really are. And that's pretty rough, beloved. When somebody's like, I'm cool, and then you walk in as the light, and, some, and they realize they're like, oh, I'm just as joyful as you, but they're freaking out and, and nasty about everything. And you're joyful even in the most cool circumstances. And you realize that light really does manifest. It makes clear. And God's called you to be that. And this is the reason that I even bring up that Job text. Don't let it stop you from being the light. We're afraid of people freaking out at it. But if you're called to be the light, be the light. It's that simple. But I want to warn you, whether you like it or not, he's he's called you to be it. So you're going to get hammered either way. You might as well get hammered for purpose. But with that, you're to bear fruit, and that fruit is this light. Does that make sense? Now, listen, as we prepare to go to the table, we'll get to this last text in regards to launching the Levites, but please hear me. To have communion in this room right now, to partake of the bread and the juice, we're doing so much more than just eating bread, drinking juice. We read that whenever we partake of these things, we confess his death. We remember his death until he comes. Never forget, this is about the cross. That was the last chapter. But also, never forget, this is about the cup. And the cup speaks of fruitfulness. And that's this chapter. The last chapter brought us to the bread. This chapter brings us to the cup. Does that make sense? So here we are, Levites, and all that is is a servant in the temple. And as a servant in the temple, he says, now this is what I want you to do. It's quite simple. I want you to do some cleaning, and then I want you to do some sacrificing. Get these guys ready. So here's the cleaning. Notice it's a three-step process, by the way, verses 5 through 7. The Lord spoke to Moses, and he said, cleanse them ceremonially in verse 6. This is how. Verse 7, sprinkle them with the water of purification, and then shave their body. Or let them shave their body, which, let's be honest, that's a lot nicer than him telling you that you have to shave their body, especially when there's 22,000 of them. Here you go. Here's a piece of flint. All you guys go get it. And then wash their clothes. And I started looking, and can I just say that to me, and this should just make sense, the greatest commentary on Scripture is Scripture. So then I started looking, well, what do I see in regards to this first area about sprinkling? And there was something interesting in the book of Hebrews. Listen to this in Hebrews 10.22. Let us draw near with a true heart, full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. When God speaks about sprinkling in the book of Hebrews, the idea is quite simple. That we actually come with a clear conscience. In other words, can I just say that if we are going to be right for service, we should do some internal inventory. Take some serious inventory. And that actually matches with what Paul tells us when we start looking at this coming to the table of the Lord because he says, he says, let them first examine themselves. We need to take seriously that when we're going to the table of the Lord, we're confessing that Jesus died for us. The question is, are we willing to live for him now? 
And I get the idea here that this whole idea of sprinkling, it's like, okay, am I taking an internal inventory? Am I being serious about this? But then the second thing was this issue of shaving. And the idea here is that these guys shave everything. And then I go, well, what do I know about shaving as I look at it in the book of the New Testament? And all of a sudden I see in Acts 21, verse 23, when God is, actually, we should say it this way, when Paul is being approached about these men that have taken a vow, this is in the following verse, let them be purified with you and pay their expenses so that they may shave. And I get this idea here that shaving was part of the end of this process, of this vow, this commitment. And I start checking my second thing. My first was internal inventory. My second was checking my Christ commitment. Am I really checking? Am I really committed? Is this just so that, well, we do it and everybody else is doing it, so I really might as well do it too? Or am I being really serious for the moment and saying, wait a minute, Christ, am I really committing to you as you've committed to me? Because when we're told, by the way, if we're not analyzing, if we're not taking a look at ourselves, and we're really not willing to commit, he goes, that's why so many of you are so messed up. That's why so many of you are so weak, so sick. Because you're so flippant at the table of the Lord, and here you are trying to commune with the King of Kings, but doing it really like it's just nothing. I mean, this is intimacy, and I don't want to get crude, but God never intended intimacy to be flippant. Now, we're aware in this city, for a small fee or a large fee or whatever the fee is, people can be physically intimate with a total stranger. Flippant, quick, and it is not what God intended. God intended it to be more than a physical union. He intended there to be a total intimacy. But listen, this is the way God puts it. It's commitment that produces time, that produces intimacy, not the other way around. What the devil says is, be intimate, maybe you'll get more time with the guy, and maybe he'll commit. But God put it the other way around. How do I know that? Because Jesus did it for us. He committed, then spent time with us, and showed that commitment even to death on the cross so he could be intimate with us. So please understand God does not want this table to be one that is an unintimate table. He wants it to be the place where we are completely committed to him. And then the last thing, the idea of taking that clothes and washing them. Now, it's interesting because when we start looking at washing things, we always get this idea of the word. Jesus saying you're already clean because of the word I've spoken to you, John 15, 3. Or the husband washing his wife in the water of the word, Ephesians 5, verse 26. But then it's interesting when we talk about clean clothes. I go to Revelation 19 where he says this about the bride. To her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. And if I put these three things together, here's the idea. If I'm going to come to the table clean, I'm going to come to the table having taken an internal inventory, checking my Christ's commitment, and then seeing if I really want to walk in the Word. Do I really want to obey you now. Because for me to call him Lord, Lord, but have no intent on obeying him is not coming to the Lord, calling him Lord. Jesus would say, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? How does that work? How can I be your boss, but you say no? Please hear me. Today, in just a moment, we'll be about to approach the table of the Lord. And as we do, I want us to take inventory. See if there be any wicked way in me. And purge me from it. But God, don't just purge me 
from the ill intent. Don't just purge me, Lord, from the, the product of that and the sin that is born forth in my life, but rather cleanse me from even the appetite for it. Oh God, let me be completely yours. Let me be completely committed. And, and I listen, commitment is proven in choices. When you see a guy and it's like, you're my only one, but while he's saying that he's still checking out the girl who's walking by, you should doubt that. But we do that with the Lord. We're like, Lord, you have everything. What? what? Ooh, who's that? What's that? You know, it's like we have like spiritual ADD. We're like, Lord, God, squirrel. You know, like that's where we're at. How in the world does that work? But what if we could be, as Job would say, I've made a covenant with my eyes that it would look a no unclean thing. Could you imagine? How do we do that here? You're walking out of a store and it's like, right? You're like, oh, you serious? Lord, wipe that. But then it's like, Lord, I want to go look at my past and take an internal inventory, my present. I want to make sure my commitment to you is right. But also, as I look into my future, God, I want to walk in your word. I want to walk in your word. Not just make it all up and think you're going to applaud me for what I made up. But God, I want to walk in your word. So here's how the rest of it comes down. Take a young bull with a grain offering mixed with flour. You'll take two of them. One's going to be a sin offering. One's going to be a, a total sacrifice, that of a burnt offering. Then what happens is you gather the whole congregation. You've got two million people. You've gathered them all together, and they lay hands on the Levites. What are they doing? They're openly testifying that these people are exactly who God says. God says they're going to be your representatives, and then we want to actually openly testify of it. The church says amen. That's the idea. And then the craziest thing to me. God says, in the end of it all, though you're going to do the sin offering and this burnt offering, we'll talk about those in a moment, he says the one thing he mentions more than anything else is this thing called a wave offering. Notice in verse 11, like a wave offering. Verse 13, like a wave offering. Verse 15, like a wave offering. And then in verse 21, like a wave offering. What in the heck is that? I get the other two. The idea of a sin offering. We're going to have an animal die. You're laying your hands on it because that's what they do next. The people lay hands on the Levites first. We openly... In other words, we transmit that power to you. We testify you have that power. You give you that authority. Because God never gives authority without responsibility. And he never gives responsibility without authority. He says, here's your responsibilities. You're going to carry the tabernacle. You're going to set it up. You're going to do all the service in it other than the priestly things. That's your guys' job. And we go, that's your job now. When the, when the time comes when God raises up people from this fellowship to be pastors, to raise up to be in positions of leadership and positions of service, we're going to do the same thing. We're all going to lay hands on them because we want to testify that God has ordained them for that role. But listen, it tells us in the Timothy letters, First Timothy, do not lay hands on someone hastily. It tells us that it can't be a new believer because a new believer could fall into the same condemnation as the devil. And I get it. Because understand, what the devil said is, hey, this is my show now. And you watch somebody that just gets saved and it just becomes theirs. It's my thing now. It's like, no, it's going to be Jesus' thing. It will always be Jesus' thing. And the moment it's your thing, it's the wrong thing. So please hear me. We laid hands on them when we said, hey, we are acknowledging you guys are the ones God's called. And then they go and they lay hands on the animals and say, we're acknowledging you're dying for us. How awesome is that? Thank you for dying for us. And the animals were killed. And understand, sin offering, because we still, as servants, recognize we're sinners. You never want to forget that. 
You watch some guy, and he's a pastor. He's got this big ministry, and he forgets he's a sinner. And what happens? He starts falling into crazy sin. And they go, there he goes again. And the crazy part is the Christians go, see, look at that. There you go. It's like, hey, he's a sinner like you are. You, let's be honest. Your jealousy got away with it so long. That's the truth. Because we're sinners, saved by grace. And that's why we put up walls. That's what convictions are, to keep you off the cliff. Hey, so we're going to sacrifice because though we're laying hands on you, we are acknowledging you're still a sinner and we want to pray for you. In other words, we respect the position, but we pray for the person. Does that make sense? And they lay hands to say, we openly testify we are sinners. We're not trying to tell you we're perfect. We're telling you that we need grace like everybody else does. So there's this issue of the sin, the sin sacrifice, but then there's also the issue of the burn sacrifice. We also recognize if we're going to do this right, it takes total surrender. No partial surrender ain't going to work for this. I can't have one foot into serving you and one foot into serving me because it just doesn't work. And so we testify that. But then comes this last one. And it's this wave offering. So get the idea here. This isn't like the Mexican wave at sort of a football stadium. I was like, ah! or is it? What did we do? What did a priest do with a wave offering? They took this giant chunk of meat. And they stood up there, and as the fire was there, they went, whoa, just like the Mexican wave. I was like, whoa. Now, what did that look like? Now, from America, and part of me, actually, about a 16th of me is, is American Indian, by the way, or Native American, whatever, um, Native part. But in all of that, um, I mean, we all, got, we all got off the same boat, <laughs> regardless of what the movie says. Um, sorry. Did I say that out loud? Um, that they did, they, one of the ways they communicated was by stopping and opening smoke. We call it smoke signals, right? But the idea of it was sort of like Morse code, where you kind of stopped. And, but the idea of it was, is this thing collected this smoke, and then it lifted up, and it was this big thing. It looked like a mushroom, right? It's like that, it kind of rolled out. It was kind of a cool thing to watch. Now, before, like, big bombs, that was the coolest thing we had. I mean, before China gave us those, like, really cool ones with the lights now, right, and we call fireworks. But before that, this was the coolest it got. We took this fire, and we put this thing over it, and we went like this, and it kind of rolled up like this big mushroom. And it, like, it was like this big ball of smoke that went woof like this. So watch, this is what happened. It went woof. And that's exactly what's supposed to happen with a believer when they're surrendering to God. That was the idea, is there was this big ball or something, and you just went woof. And that was the way it looked. And God says, that's the way these guys are supposed to look. It's about worship. You need to understand, when you serve each other, if you do it for the right reason, you are worshiping Jesus. Can I say it this way? When you're worshiping Jesus, you will find yourself serving each other. What you can't do is go, oh, God, you have everything. And God goes, well, then give that guy next to you something he needs, a coat. And you're like, oh. God says, you gave it to me. So imagine, it's like, I give it to Mario, and the Mario says, here, Mary, take this. I'm like, no, 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 I want Mary to have it, but I gave it to you. And it's like, no, no, no. When God gives you, you go, God, take it. God goes, cool, now let's do something good with it. Like, what's God going to do? Like, float the coat in the sky? Everybody look at Tony gave me a coat. People would be like, ghost! That's what they would do. So you're like, God, here's, a, here's all of my stuff. God goes, how about that coat? Give it to that person. And you're like, what? And all of a sudden what happened is this big pile of this kind of gets sucked back down. Boom. Right? Oh, God, I just love you. I serve you. I lift my hands and surrender. We stand and lift up our hands to the joy of the Lord. Right? And God's like, just look at what if I had everything? 
God's like, what if I had your time? And so what happened is like you handed God your time checkbook. And God started writing out checks of your time. 25 minutes with this person in need. 25 minutes with this person who needs to be on the phone and pray with you. Take 30 minutes and text every person you know and tell them that, you, that Jesus has set you free. You're like, but they'll think I'm crazy. They probably already do. You believe in a guy that died 2,000 years ago, several thousand miles away, that speaks to you still and is going to come back and suck you into the sky. If it weren't true, that would be insane. But it's true. Beloved, please hear me. He's called you to be the light. And if we're going to go to the table right, listen, we want to know that. We want to know when we walk out this door, this isn't a temporary moment to nibble. This is a moment to collect yourself, take that inventory and say, God, I want to be right with you. And listen, I'm not doing this to be right with you. I'm doing this because I am right with you because of the blood of Jesus. Does that make sense? And then with it, it's like, God, I've taken that inventory. I want to check my commitment. God, this isn't about just do, you know, I'm doing this so you could bless me. How is that a commitment to Christ? That's trying to commit Christ to you. Exactly. But I want, to, I want to commit to this, Lord. I want to commit to your will, not to mine. So the Lord says, I've got some hammering to do to make you a little bit more of a light. And you're like, no, thank you. God's like, I thought you said I, I had all of you. No strings attached. You're like, yes, but here's my operating manual. God says, no, 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 no. And he pulls out the Bible. He says, here's your operator's manual. You're like, but this one's about surrender. And he goes, isn't that the word you just used? Do you get it? And so he pounds us, and he, as he pounds us and shapes us, he shapes us into something that looks fruitful. And the fruit is light. Which is a real shame, but maybe it's better, because if this caught on fire by now, maybe the whole building would be actually our light at the moment. But please hear me. Then he's like, Anne, I want you to come in clean. I want you to come as a light, and I want you to come clean. How do we come clean? Well, first of all, it's like, okay, let me, let's, let's take a look at that. And then as we, we kind of dive through that, Lord, I want to remember that I'm a sinner and I want to recognize that that cross is still my payment, paid for everything. Jesus died on that cross. It's the first half of the gospel. That's the broken bread. But then he rose again and offers me new life, and that's the cup. And I never want to forget that it's two parts, and I want to remember them both. This takes care of my past and really my future as well. But in this one, shows me my future, that intimacy with you. That's what I want. This says paid in full. This says be mine. That's what the difference is. And he says, but listen, I'm calling you to it. The final thing in all this, he goes, look at I want you vibrant. Physically, there's an age that's vibrant. Although we can say we really skew that. You're probably unaware of the fact that Shirley's 125, but the girl looks 20. <laughs> you can ask me a secret. Perhaps she'll tell you the truth. Jesus. Here's, here's, you know, here's the point. In those days, people died a lot earlier than they do today. And he says, there's a specific age. And actually, he added five years so you could intern before you actually did the work. But he says, this is the age of cutoff. And here's the cool thing. You're always taken care of. You're always sponsored as a Levite. You're always sponsored. But there's a specific age because sooner or later, things get a little bit heavier. You, like you get a little heavier. Uh, not you, Shirley, but I mean people in general, you know. That's like, you know, now all of a sudden, hey, it starts with the hydraulics le- leaking on the way up, right? You go, are you like a property? But you know you're in trouble when they start making their way on the way down. Like, okay, now I know things are going wrong, right? I mean, I have gravity in my favor, and I'm still, having, I'm still debating. All right. And then a long walk becomes, or a short walk becomes a long walk. But anyway, so... 
Please hear me. The idea is simple. And here's the difference, beloved. As we walk in Christ, we could stay vibrant all the time. But here's the problem. You could be 20 and not vibrant. You could be two weeks in Christ and be not vibrant. You could be, I'm here and I'm, I'm going to invite all y'all old folk. Like, strangely enough, I'm starting to sort of nudge my way into that, that category. I want to invite any one of you who have walked with Christ. Let me say this. How many of you here have walked with Christ for more than 10 years? Okay, awesome. If you walked for 20 years, I just one hand. because She was raising both hands. I just didn't know if that meant 20. Okay, listen. Hold on. Hold his hands up for a second. Hold his hands. Now stand up. Stand up. If you've been... Stand up. If you've been a Christian more than 10 years. You've been a Christian more than 10 years. Okay, yeah. Now listen, I'm inviting you to something with me. I'm inviting you to something with me. When I first got saved, I looked at people that were Christians more than 10 years. And you know what I saw? Angry, lazy, cynical, fat and lethargic Christians. That's what I saw at best. They were like, eh, whatever. Oh, when you get older, you'll be cynical like me too, and you'll have a problem with the church. And look at it. I, there's one guy in Scripture, one guy, and his name means dog. Caleb. Dog. He's 85 years old, and he says, 45, 40 years ago I spied out the land, and I wanted it. No, I'm 85. Give me the land. And he says, you want to go get it? He's like, that's all I want. Come on, boys. And he takes these bunch of young guys. Come on, I'm going to take the land. And I, listen. There's got to be something that's like, hey, if loving Jesus in the beginning is awesome, shouldn't it be more awesome as we get older? Shouldn't we be the most crazy in love with God, people? I mean, you know what people say? If there's a couple, they're in love. Oh, are you newlyweds? Isn't it sad? Shouldn't they say, wow, how long have you been married that you are this in love, right? Oh, no, we think the other, right? Same thing happens with Christians, right? Oh, you must be a brand new believer, huh, Shirley? Shirley, can I ask, how long have you been a Christian? Sure. 23 years. 23 years. Woo! Can I have a seat? Everyone have a seat? This year in August will commemorate my 30th rebirthday. 30 years in Christ. Because I got saved before I was born. Just kidding. Just kidding. Listen. Sorry, Lord. You know where liars go. Um, please hear me. We're just about to pray and jump into this. Please hear me. My prayers, if you are crazy enough to stick around with us until the, as the Lord tarries for another 10 years, if he does, you should see a guy more in love with Jesus 10 years from now. And you should see those people. Check them. Check them. 10 years from now, see what they're like. That whole cynical, angry, fat, lethargic, being the underground man kind of thing. Oh, we can't do it now, whatever. I'm done with that. I'm done with that. And if you're new in Christ, challenge us. Because what you should see is, wow, that's what it looks like. Because we know him better. Shouldn't we love him more? And if what they see is, hey, that doesn't mean we may, not, we may not have the same energy we used to. Maybe we will. We'll see. Even Moses, by the way, we read his vigor didn't die. Then that's the Lord. And we'll say this. Whether we have the energy or not, that shouldn't mean the passion of our heart should cool. Does that make sense? It's like we should still love the smell of the battle. We should still want to get out there and share Jesus with people. And to be honest, God, give us a heart for the younger that we would help lift them up and challenge them. Because wouldn't you hate it? If, I mean, think of it this way, and I'll close with this. Let's say, like, how many of you, let me say this. How many of you have given your life to Christ within a year of now? Raise your hand. Would you say that? You're about a year old. About a year old. Okay, awesome, awesome. Who else? Come on, raise your hands. Woohoo! Come on. 
So you show up, and now you've been recruited, and you're on the front line, and it's, it's like, you know, welcome to training, welcome to basic training. And you show up, and there you are, and you don't know anything. You've got, your boots are kind of cockeyed, you know, your, you know, so your trousers are hanging, and you got your belt's kind of hanging over your side like a bandolero. You don't really know yet. And all of a sudden, the guys show up, and they're all like this, you know, they're like, all right, whatever, just sit, and we're not going to do laps, because who cares about laps? We're not going to read, because who reads, and who's going to praise, and oh, just... Don't worry, you'll be like us sooner or later. And you're like, what kind of army did I join? Right? Shouldn't that be the guy that's like, yeah, the smell of battle. You know, the guy that's like 60 and he's like, come on, you can do this. And they're like outrunning you. You know, you're like, oh, you're like, like, the, like the younger Captain America before they like injected him with like super steroids or whatever. You know, and he's like, well, we're just running past you to your left. You know, just whipping past you. However, that works. I mean, is that really if we should be those guys? that are like, Come on. Let's, let's go see God do cool stuff. And that's what I want to challenge you to. And I want to challenge you to grow with me in that. But for that to happen, listen, we start by going to this table knowing that we are called to be lights that God pulls to the front, not to the back. He pulls to the front. As he pulls to the front, he says, now, let's get clean and let's go. Have you, let's start with this. Have you even accepted the gift of Jesus Christ? Because that's how this starts. Jesus died on the cross. That's the testimony of the bread. He died on the cross for your and my sin to pay for your and my guilt so that you and I could stand innocent before God. Have you accepted that gift? It's half the story. That's the bread, the cup. Then Jesus rose from the dead and offers us intimacy with him as him as our Lord and as our love and as our life so that we could be the light that he puts inside of us as he lives inside of us. To bear forth the fruit he intends. Now, I'm not, notice I didn't ask, have you gone to church? You can go to church and not be a Christian. You can walk into a McDonald's and not be a hamburger. Matter of fact, never mind. Anyways, have you accepted that gift? Because I'm going to give you that choice. And if you have, welcome to the family today. It's a simple choice. He's on his knee, the ring's in his hand, and he says, will you be mine? That's it. You say, well, I don't understand everything, but I understand this much. If you really died for my sins, you really want to pay for it all, I'll say yes. Hey, let, the, let the rest work its way out. But if you have said yes, then let's get clean and let's come to the table and celebrate together. Will you pray with me? Lord God, thank you so much for this beautiful text. Thank you that we are in the text a week away from the, next, from the first remembering Passover. And here we are on this perfect day you've orchestrated this to have, for us to have communion. So, Lord, I pray today that you would do something amazing here. Lord, that you would so ignite us. Lord, we recognize that the light that you ordained was a light that actually came by fire. Not a light that came by... <coughs> not, a, not a light that came by batteries, but a light that came by fire. And Lord, I just pray today you would set us on fire for you. Not in some goofy way, but let the stuff that doesn't belong to you burn away. If it doesn't belong to you, then it doesn't belong to us anymore. Because we belong to you. So Lord, I pray right now for you to come and fill us with the freedom, the joy, Lord, of being yours. And Lord, I pray today for every believer here who maybe could come to the table but not come clean. Because they've been so busy, Lord, Chasing after the things of the world, not taking that inventory. Trying to make you their master card instead of their master. Lord, we don't want that today. What we want today is for you to be our master. 
So we commit ourselves to you, Lord, and we ask for you to lead us today. We ask for you, Lord, to show us how to be greater committed to you, how to follow you the way you intend, how to serve you the way you intend, and, Lord, how to be a light to this world around us. And so when people say, oh, London, isn't that a dark place? How could it be dark if you called us to be the light of the world? It can't be dark around us because you were with us. And the psalmist says that even darkness is light to you. So Jesus, as you are the light and you live in us and have made us now the light, put us on the hill you ordained. And I pray right now if there be anyone in this room and they're not sure if they've ever said yes to you or they are sure that they haven't, today, let today be the day that they say yes. And look at, beloved, in this room right now, what are you fighting? What is it that you could possibly hold on to to say no to Jesus? What could possibly be worth that? But today in this room, I invite you today to say yes. And I'm going to pray a prayer and I ask you to listen. And at the end of it all, if you're willing to say yes to Jesus, I ask you to give a confident, resounding amen. And what you're saying is, I agree. Let those words be my words. Let that prayer be my prayer. And here's what it is. God in heaven, I confess to you, I'm a sinner. I'm not perfect. You know that. I know that. But you as a righteous judge punish all wrong. And as you punish all wrong, you have a right to punish me for my wrong. But out of your perfect, infinite love for me, you sent Jesus to die on the cross so that my sins could be paid in full. And though they've been paid, you still give me the choice to accept that gift. And today I say yes. I confess Jesus as my Savior. That's the bread. I confess him as my Savior. But today I confess him as my Lord as well. And as I confess him as my Lord, I give you the right to my life. Reinvent me the way you want. Make me the light you ordained for me to be. I recognize that that will take some purifying by your blood. And that will take some hammering, but I trust you. So here I am, yours. I surrender to you now, Jesus, in your name. And if you agree, I ask you to say, Amen.